it seems objectively insane. Like, but then you look, you know, it's like I was like, anytime I think something like that, I think of like something from my culture that looks at like uh, the electric chair. That's an insane thing to do. Uh huh. You're not doing a person with electricity. No, 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 no. But we as society are like, when we get and we watch it, and and it's like there's this ritual, and you put the hut, and you, like, that's an insane way to roll. Doom scrolling. Uh, that's insane. That's insane too. But we, it's, it's, but we, you know, like, but, but you don't ever think about it that way. So, right, right. I don't know. Every time I see something ugly in another culture, I think, what's ugly in my culture? Welcome to Bald Move Prestige, the officially unofficial podcast for all the prestigious television. Uh, that includes Shogun this week. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're. Back, I guess, if you listen to the preview cast, talk about the first episode of Shogun over on FX Hulu uh, slash Disney. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff going on over there. It's almost as complicated as this period of Japanese history. What's going on at Disney right now? Are you saying Mickey Mouse is, in fact, the Shogun of the entertainment world? He's a wannabe Shogun, I think. Yeah. A Taiko, maybe? Yeah, he might be a Taiko. Maybe it rises to that. Uh, all right, Aaron. We we know a little bit of your history with Shogun. Uh, I believe we talked about that in the preview podcast. Uh, after digesting the first, actually two episodes, because FX released both of these episodes, one and two, same day. Uh, so we've seen them both. But the good news is I don't think there's a lot of like speculation to necessarily be done especially in this first episode. Um, so it doesn't, I don't think it ruins the experience, but we're going to be talking about the first episode here. What'd you think of it? I, so I, uh, you know, my uh, experience with Shogun, if you missed a preview is just by reputation. It's my dad's favorite novel. Uh, he loved the miniseries. Um, I did have one enduring memory of this miniseries. I completely forgot about until I watched this episode, that of a man being boiled alive in a giant pot. Oh. Uh, I'll talk about that when we get to that point. Um, but my expectation was I was going to like, this is going to be a very, uh, I had some question marks about some of the actors, the Cosmo guy. I was like, I don't know. This guy might be a pretty boy, lightweight. Um, but I, 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 and then, but I knew the plot was going to be good. The writing was going to be good. It was going to be beautiful. The cinematography is going to be amazing. I mean, just from the trailer and its reputation, uh, even though having that like pretty high expectations, I was kind of blown away by the first episode. I was in the tank for the show in the first five. You start on a wooden sailing ship. Yeah, I figured with with, with shipwrecked sailors taking taking lead line soundings with broken shell and sand on the bottom. I mean, I was just like, oh, my God, this is this is so cool. And by the end of the two at first two episodes, I'd already had like six or seven favorite characters and like I'm wow. instantly liking some people and I'm it's I, I just thought it was really fascinating and I wasn't expecting the comedy like how funny the show can be at times I wasn't expecting the genuine moments of horror um, I certainly wasn't expecting the eroticism uh, that uh-huh. that we got like this 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 these two hours are pitching a lot of entertainment heat oh, uh, yeah. It's I, I I I it's the only regret I have is it's going to be only a season, single season. Mm-hmm. I understand that Clavel made many other works kind of in this area. Maybe they'll adapt some others of those, but I I just am now completely relaxed, buckled in to enjoy the ride. How did the first two episodes of Shogun strike you? 
Uh, yeah, these first two episodes were a lot for me to take in. So I, I really liked sure. the show. I do think the, the description of, you know, Japanese Game of Thrones is pretty apt here based on yes. what I've seen in the first two. I, I It's interesting because I don't know that I totally follow every tiny detail. And, and I, I can't tell if that's a good thing or a bad thing, if that's going to lead me to be a little bit more surprised by the show or if that's actually going to confuse me and leave me scratching my head. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of stuff in here, not just with the Japanese culture that I don't understand, but also with 1600s Christianity that I don't understand sure. and the, the machinations there. So I think the show does a fairly good job of cluing you into all that, but this is not a show that holds your hand either. This wants to be Japanese Game of Thrones, right? This wants to kind of show you show you kind of the tip of the iceberg and let you kind of envision the rest of it. Mm. And I found it hard sometimes to envision the rest of it, I guess. I think that, I, I mean, I'm, I will echo that, but I thought also because this, unlike Game of Thrones, you, the central kind of audience POV character is mm-hmm. a fish out of water. And I felt like that kind of like only getting to understand every like third or fourth word and kind of like, you know, being immersed, it kind of puts you in that position where it's like, yes, you're playing catch up, but so is John Blackthorn. And he's totally. just desperately trying to go from one thing to another to try to keep a toehold, a finger hold on his destiny, on his fate. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I just felt like it was. And, and no, that also totally felt, works for, for yeah. the Japanese stuff. It's the Christianity stuff that mm. because he's not a fish out of water in that. Right. He is the biggest fish in the sea when it comes to that. Right. stuff. He seems but it to also know everything. W- would be really stupid if the first time you met a Portuguese, he's like, oh, yep. John Blackthorn, you're swan. He kind of does. But like lays out all the conflicts <laughs> and does. stuff because they they know that. Like why it's of course, so that yeah. it puts you in the it's, place it's of difficult. the Japanese where Sh- they sure. are. Because because that's the this is like the outsider being beheld by the outsider and seeing itself. Uh-huh. But neither is an outsider to both, except for me. I am the outsider to yes. both. And that is leaving me a little bit confused at times. Although I think there's just enough there to grab onto. Like, they, but also they do... you are that you are. Um, um, I, I think that John is the the. Um, uh, it, it represents both that because a lot of what's going on with Spanish and Portuguese is opaque to him too. They've deliberately kept all their dealings in the East as a secret. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. yes, the Portuguese and the Spanish know what's going on with them and the Japanese are going on with them, but John Blackthorne's kind of ignorant of both. So mm-hmm. well, yeah. when they throw out a word like Jesuits and they'll, th- this is not in the first episode, this is in the second, but when they throw out a word like Jesuits, I don't know what implications ah. that has, but John Blackthorne absolutely does. Sure. And I did, I like, I, you know, Je- the, I know the Jesuits by reputation. Um, but I, I th- to get to your point, like, yes, all this does remind me of the first few episodes of Game of Thrones where, cause I watched the show first. I read the books after the first season and it's kind of just like, yeah, I don't know everyone's names. I don't know everyone's households. I don't know where everyone's castles sure. are, but I'm like, I, this is fascinating and I want, like, I want to know. Uh-huh. Um, same thing with like the wire. Like I remember like three or four episodes where it's <laughs> yeah. like, I know that these are the cops and these are the robbers, but who's corners, I, you know, there's, there's I, I rival know. corners yeah. and gangs and there's even rival interdepartmental things and the pol- it's it, it, but it's like confusing, oh, yeah. but manifestly is telling me I'm, I'm worth it. I'm worth it. If oh, yeah. you invest, 
I like this isn't going to be one of those shows where you like get into the lore and you find out there's a whole bunch of like I don't know shrugs and question marks. Like this feels like a fully realized war uh, world, and Shogun does too because it largely is based on real mm-hmm. world. Like this is lightly fictionalized events of the real life Japanese 17th century. So I like I said I yeah. it, it checks off all the boxes and. I think this show is going to be. Uh, I hope this show is a monster hit for FX Hulu because I think it's it also be. looks like it cost a bunch of money. And I uh-huh. hate it when a studio commits this much money and then doesn't get rewarded for it because I'd love for them to do more of these lush, lavish period pieces because it makes it more likely that HBO is going to pick up uh, the entire uh, Patrick O'Brien Aubrey Matron series. <laughs> and I can retire as a podcaster. If I can do 10 seasons of a Patrick oh, O'Brien adaptation, hell yeah. And I'll drag yeah. your ass with me if I have to. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm really excited, man. I, I was very pleased. Um, this was just easily watchable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I found myself really engrossed in it. Um, I, I really like, you know, you speak to, you spoke to kind of like the Game of Thrones, getting to know the houses and stuff. I felt that with the different regents. Uh, in the Japanese society here, uh, getting to know Tornaga and and this Yabushige uh, Yubushige guy, I call him I, Yabu um, because yeah, Yabu, right. Yabushi, but but yeah, he's that, an interesting character. Yes, he is. Yeah, Yabushige. Uh, yeah, uh, forgive my pronunciation on all of this because oh, yeah, we're. I, I'm not going to try and say it like a Japanese person would say it. That could yeah. be even more offensive. I'm just going to mispronounce everything. We have thick barbarian tongues, and we do. We're uncouth. Yeah. We bait at most once simple. a week. Yeah, uh, it's it's a real <laughs> shit show. So forgive us. All right. Well, we we seems like we both are eager to talk about the episode. Let's get into the recap. Yeah, let's do it. We'll be right back with more bald move after this brief pause. Here's what's new in premium content for our club members. Badass Fest 6 is just around the corner. Do you have your tickets yet? We promise you don't want to miss our secret badass movie and ensuing podcast. Festivities happen live at 7 p.m. on June 21st in Cincinnati, Ohio. Get your tickets now at baldmove.com slash live. Back to our regularly scheduled broadcast time for lunch with Jim and Aaron this week. That's right. I'm back from Wonderfest, no doubt with lots of model talk. Catch the live stream at 1 p.m. or check out the podcast later that evening. And finally, if you're a Patreon Club subscriber, you should know that you need to change your selected tier. Whether you want to downgrade to save some money or upgrade to keep your current features and get access to a whole new set. All the details of the changes are outlined in a post on our Patreon page, so head over to patreon.com slash baldmove right now and give it a look so you don't lose access to all the premium content. If you want more bald move in your life head over to support.baldmove.com to find out how you can get tons of bonus audio and video content plus ad free feeds we try to make it super easy to support making podcasts at bald move just join the club but some people aren't a joining type, or maybe they're already in the club but want to add a little bit of gratuity for an especially great season of coverage, or for a podcast that really spoke to them or gave them that bit of support in a tough time. 
For these, and for whatever other reason you might have, our tip jar is always open. Head over to support.ballmove.com and click the donate option to say, hey, keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate it. Once again, check out support.baldmove.com for all the great ways to help me and Jim keep making the podcast you love. And now, back with more Bald Move. Uh, First off, I want to just say, if you you didn't look this up, the name of the episode, Anjin, that is just pilot in Japanese, essentially. Uh, which I take to mean navigator. Like that's yeah, the term I'm more familiar with. Pilot, pilot to me is the guy actually controlling the the thing. But um, I'm thinking, and in, in, in this era, they're pretty much one and the same. Like this is like a pilot is uh, oh. a guy who specializes in like close inshore piloting. Like they're expert at okay. knowing where all the depths are in particular harbors, where all the reefs are. Uh, you, you, they don't necessarily have much to do in like blue water sailing, but when you're getting close to the coast, they're indispensable because, you know, it's a, it's a, it's yeah. impossible for every sailor. And usually pilots are also regionally specific. Like it'd be rare to have like a pilot of the world, but this guy mm. seems like he is an expert in like trying to be an expert in this region. He's like, uh, you know, the, the, the advanced brigade of the, of, of the, the rest of Europe trying to crack into Portugal and Spain's, uh, the entire hemisphere that they, they own. They think they, yeah. Own. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. And, and over the course of the episode, you'll understand that the, you'll come to understand that they're talking about, uh, Blackthorn there because they call him pilot all the time. He's the on gene. Uh, so it's 1600. The Portuguese, we get the title, bunch of title cards here. I'm just going to kind of summarize them. Uh, the Portuguese Catholics trade with Japan, but it, they keep it secret from their sworn enemies, the European Protestants. In Osaka, the Taiko has died, leaving behind an heir too young to rule. So five warrior lords are now trapped in a bitter struggle to become the Shogun. And they all kind of sit on a council together. Um, the ship Erasmus, which is John Blackthorne's ship, has been sailing for too long. They're out of food, they're out of water. Uh, the captain's at the end of his rope and decides to kill himself, uh, despite his pilot, John Blackthorne, swearing that they're about to make landfall in Japan. Uh, I mean, this captain, I thought, like, I because th- th- this John Blackthorne says, I mean, maybe he thinks he's, he's uh, lying, but he says, I've got white sand at 10 fathoms. That's mm-hmm. 60 feet, I think. Like okay. if you're getting white sand at sixty feet, you are going to hit land. You know, you're getting white. You know, like you, that, that's not something you get in the middle of the fucking ocean. So like, I thought it was strange that the captain decided to blow his head off. And maybe he's a little deranged. It looks like oh, he's yeah. like got advanced scurvy. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, he's starving. I, he's it's not, not any water. Do you think Jack Bl- uh, John Blackthorn like secretly kept his cache of food because he looks remarkably healthy compared to every oh, yeah. other sailor? Uh, right he's running around he's fighting when they come to take him away he's yeah I mean or is he just like they're like they refuse to eat his English food they're Dutchmen he's like oh there's sure. plenty of blood pudding over here guys would you would you like some black pudding would you like a boiled uh-huh. baby perhaps and they're like no we're rather starved dude we're good we're good yeah. on all that <laughs> could be <laughs> uh, I definitely took note of that too but look he's the main character what do you want it's he's true. gotta be he resilient he's, he's gotta be sexually attractive you can't mm-hmm. have fucked up Austin Power scurvy teeth uh, you yep. can't have open boils and wounds yeah yeah Absolutely. Mariko's gotta plausibly 
think that this barbarian is something she might want to take a poke at. I think is where they're going with some of this. Uh... Yeah, we'll see. They we'll they see. noted really each know. other a lot in the first two episodes for mm-hmm. that not to be going anywhere. All right, sometime later, a Japanese man spots their ship on the coast. Uh, samurai board it, I guess. They're samurai. Uh, find several men, including John, barely alive, and they take the men prisoner. And then we can see them noting, oh my god, cannons and booty. There's so much booty on this ship. Oh yeah. They're, they're pirating much, the pirates. As much booty as uh, Toranaga's general's wife's behind. You can't make jokes that people haven't seen yet, man. <laughs> it's true. I spoiled the second episodes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Um, it's a good scene. I, That's a good scene. I, and also like, man, it's we're just, just to deal with the text, it's going to, we're going to be rushing past so many wonders. Um, he, uh, but like this, this whole opening act uh, of on the ship and the way this ship slides out of this fog bank is this guy's getting, I guess, water for the morning. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, fill in a bucket with seawater for whatever purpose. I it just, it's, it's beautiful. And it's like, also imagine like you know this time where you can just be going about your business and everyday life and this vast ship just slides out of fog with people that you've never heard of uh yeah it's like man i don't know it's very romantic it's a very romantic notion yeah this, this... I, I think the the there's a certain amount of ignorance of the world in that era that yeah of course i i think is yeah you can romanticize it for sure um there's a lot of space to explore i guess right there are a lot of possibilities there that don't exist nowadays and of course there are things that exist now in the possibility space that didn't exist then. but uh, but the idea yeah, that you can go to a strange new land meet strange new people that's a start uh-huh. that's something that we might have a thousand years from now if we figure out warp drive sure. But for right now, it's just like that's we can't relate. Like the closest nope. thing would be an alien invasion, uh, which is science fiction. So, but it's yeah. uh, it is very cool. Like that's the the the, the idea that this like this time period is just crackling with possibilities and dangers. Mm-hmm. Um, is is just such a inherently cool concept. Yeah, I don't know personally. I like watching TV from the comfort of my very warm living room. Uh, as opposed to getting on a ship and going to a foreign no, land. No, I mean, it's, with... it's romantic doesn't necessarily always mean positive. It's just like, yeah, it's sure. also scary that like a ship full of barbarians can just pull up on your shore uh-huh. uh, and start shelling you. That's that's also just like, you know, it's it's scary when in Independence Day, the aliens come in and start blowing up a ship. Like, mm-hmm. but uh, it's not boring is what I'm saying. It's not boring. That's for sure. Uh, all right. We meet a couple of people here, a man named Yoshi Toranaga and his son. And his son is showing off his pet bird to his father, who's impressed with the bird's hunting skills. And they arrive at Osaka Castle, where they're greeted by Lord Ishido and his council, who seem to think this is the end of Toranaga. Uh, We'll get to the meeting here in a second, though. Uh, I like this bird scene. Because it immediately tells me what kind of a man Tornaga is. He doesn't admire the beauty of the bird. He doesn't admire uh, its speed. What he admires is its deceptive capabilities. It hides itself, cloaks itself in the sun, out of which it can attack. Uh, That, to me, tells me that he appreciates the deceptive hunter. 
And it's also going to kind of give you an insight in how he's going to wage his personal struggle against these other lords. Like he's exactly. going to con- conceal his true intentions, conserve his energy, wait for the right moment. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also like it. Um, I, I listened to the official podcast um, where uh, the bulk of it was an interview with Sonata. And, you know, his, you know, the fact that he was a producer and personally involved in like all the accuracy of this and his falconing and his horse riding lessons. And he talked many times about like really being a stickler for getting like the customs of the dress and the precise movements. And I thought it was interesting because I listened to that podcast and watched the episode again. You can see it all there. Like watch how uh, Toranaga interacts with his son, with his falcon Mm -hmm. and how relaxed and at ease he is. And in the next scene where he's on his horse riding to go see Ishido, he's like just ramrod straight. And like his, like the way he's riding a horse is almost like symbolic, uh, Mm -hmm. just like precise positioning and just ramrod straight and how he, his men file through the castle and take their position before the Lords. It's, it's just really cool. And it feels important even if you don't understand what's going on it lends like subconsciously this gravitas to everything this this formality yeah. the 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 what the was ritualistic it? The, pad, that, that, the, pad, the ritual that's what it is yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. absolutely yeah it, it feels like there's an import to everything uh, especially this next scene where Torgana, Tornaga meets with the council who accuse him of consolidating his power and holding the mother of the heir hostage in his land he denies it, of course, like you do. Uh, the council has voted to demand Lady Ochiva's return, and he has seven days to comply. And one of Toronaga's underlings, this guy named Tadayoshi, can't bear the insult of the accusations. So he tries to stand up for his lord and ends up embarrassing himself. And so he pledges to commit seppuku, ending his family line. This is all true. <laughs> this is an accurate description of what happens in the scene. I like the the kind of lead up to this scene too, um, with uh, Hiramatsu. This guy mm-hmm. we don't really know his name yet, uh, but he's talking about Osaka. He says, "I hate Osaka. This place. It's become a shithole." And, uh-huh. and and you can you don't get the full majesty of it until the end of this episode, right. but you get a glimpse of Osaka. Osaka doesn't look like a shithole. Nothing about what I've seen here looks like a shithole. He's describing not the place, but the people, the the, the, yeah. the government, the the regents yeah. here. Yeah, that they're like you know broadly seen as these ineffective bureaucrats, and they're the real warriors. And it seems like that they maybe uh, I, I don't know. This, this might be wrong, but my idea is that Toranaga and his men are more pastoral. Like they like being out in their fiefdoms, and it's probably not as built up and urban. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. But but yeah, I thought this. Um. I so my understanding of this is that they're framing like Toranaga as a little bit like Yabashiga, in that I think he knows that the things he's doing are provocative. Just like Yubashiga yeah. knew that if his lord ever found out that he's trying to steal these cannons and the ship and stuff, that it would be. But when he's called on it, he does the like, oh, so sorry, you know, I didn't have any, I, you know, just just my, that's just my daughter's mother, and you know, they're having a birth here, and it's like, it's there's like plausible, mm-hmm. um, it just he's a bet, he's quite a bit better at it than Yubashiga. but I, oh, yeah. I, I got this idea that maybe that's why their like lord and underling 
is that there is kind of like they they both have like a similar manner of of moving. Um, I mean, the Yubishiga obviously is a lot more morally dubious. Um, Toranaga just seems like he's like this paragon of virtue. Um, yeah, and and all of that makes me wonder about his intentions. Um, he's a man who enjoys appreciates, let's say, deception, right? Um, yeah, a man who works in the shadows. He later in this episode will claim that he has no ambition to be Shogun. He does not want the the title or the job. But yet, I, I think it's accurate, like what you said. He is consolidating power, and that forces me to ask: for what reason? If you don't want the job, what reason are you consolidating power for? And to me, that answer doesn't come until episode two. But mm-hmm. right, th- th- there is a definitive answer there, and it's not to become Shogun, at least in my mind. And even then, it's like there's like, you know, the three hearts, like Uh, which of his hearts is being revealed in his motivations. Like, yes, he does have fondness for his Lord. And yes, he probably does want to kind of, you know, be like a Maximus type from Gladiator where he just wants to see the realm through this particular period and then put the kid Mm -hmm. on the throne and then go back to his fiefdom. But yeah, like um, it's one of those things where you wonder, is it a self-fulfilling prophecy where the old man's like, I'm worried that these guys are going to kill my son. Uh, yeah. I want you to be, you know, and he refuses that. So it's like, well, we'll have this council of five lords and uh, Tokunaga decides to start consolidating his power to protect the boy. But that makes his other regents suspicious and try to move against. So it's like I, right. yeah, like we're we're early on that I don't know that this isn't kind of like a tragedy where the old man's private concerns might have caused this kind of like, you know, like Alexander the Great's empire fell apart after his death. Like was that inevitable because these are just ambitious, greedy uh, men, or does some of this stuff kind of like brought in brought brought upon itself? Yeah, uh, it's a fair question. There's a chicken and egg problem here. Is the is the consolidation of power the cause or the effect? Um, it's tough to say, for but sure. But there's also, did you catch this Minowara business? Um, that they'll explain it a lot more in episode two. But yeah, yeah, yeah. that that this guy is like almost um, not quite because obviously this is all magic stuff. But like in in Lord of the Rings, Aragorn. You know, has got this magic blood. He's descended from this long line of ancient, well-respected kings, and uh, Toranaga has that kind of blood, like the blood of the last clan that had was like the the shogun. Mm-hmm. Um, which do you know what a shogun is? Because I I didn't. I mean, not in specific terms. I know it's some. It's obviously a ruler in Japan. Yeah. So the Japan's the had an emperor this entire time, and will all the way up. I mean, to current day, they have an emperor. But at various times, England, England has a queen, <laughs> right? Well, that's exactly right. And, yeah. and so during the periods of the shogunate, the emperor's power kind of wanes, and these guys uh, are the supreme military dictators. And shogun, I think, literally translates to like the military uh, supreme military ruler uh, appointed by the emperor as defender against the barbarians. And it's a title that was first like established um, when uh, Japan was started to go war against the Koreans and the Chinese. But it also, like, I guess there's like three or four different shogunate periods. And some of them had more power or less power, but uh, 
the 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 bottom line is Toronaga descends from one of those very first like revered powerful shoguns, and I think that's yeah. another reason the other lords are kind of weir- wary of him. Like he's got the magic blood. He's the na- everyone. Yeah. He, he, everyone thinks he would make a great king. Oh shit! What if he becomes a king? You know? Yeah. If if he says the word, people will follow him. That's yes. That's what he, they're scared of. I think. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's like just like in Game of Thrones, like who has the power? Does the king have the power? Do the priests have the power? Right. Like ultimately, who has the power is when you call banners, which one has the most to show up? Uh, right. Yeah, and it seems like there are a lot of banners consolidating under Toronaga. Uh I I appreciated how good of a diplomat he also is. Uh, there's a lot of dialogue in this that really just sings. Um, when they accuse Lady Ochiba of being a hostage in his land, he says she's no more a hostage in my castle than I am here in this one, which I, I mean, they don't want to give up the game yet. The hut, So but, yeah. they can't say, yes, in fact, you are a hostage and we're going to kill you tomorrow uh, or seven right. days from now. Even but, though that seems like an open secret that they both understand. Yeah. But yeah. if they ever spoke it out loud, the trap would have to instantly spring. And that's uh-huh. why... You know, one of the reasons he's so frustrated with Tadiosha is that he's trying to, you know, he he's playing that diplomatic game, and by saying you've yes. you've outraged, you've done this outrage against her lord, he's like, how dare you say that he insulted me? Where, mm-hmm. When did he insult? When did he call me a traitor? No, no, yeah. he was just asking questions, and when he plainly thought, did call him a traitor, I mean, there, there's no, there's hardly any insinuation there. It's almost just spoken, but. Yeah, yeah. Like, but Ta- Tadayoshi is right, but also but they, he's wrong to speak up at this moment. Yeah, and it seems like um, Toranaga also is maybe constantly frustrated by his underlings. Like, he's so smart that his underlings don't understand. Because, like, oh, yeah. you know, I think that Hiromatsu guy uh, mm-hmm. who is intriguingly uh, sub or um, has a surname of Iron Fist in the cast descriptions. Okay. Uh, he's he's Toda Iron Fist Hiromatsu. So like I can't wait to see this guy be a badass because he kind of you can see mm. it at the margins like when he does that sword pop and in, in the, the, this episode when he uh, uh, confronts Yabu. Um, yeah, I'm but, but, yeah even Toradaga, he man. like just doesn't understand um, mm. and nobody yeah. gets like why like this is an obvious trap. Why are you walking to it? But he understands that like if he goes to war. He can't beat these other four Elites. guys. Yeah. 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 They're all allied against him. So he needs to break that alliance before he can stand a chance. It's interesting because like in Game of Thrones terms, it seems like they're they're almost like he's the uh, love child of uh, Ned Stark and Tywin Lannister. He's got Ned Stark's like nobility uh-huh. and honesty and decency, but he's also got Tywin's Lannister's like just yeah. cunning eye for power and how to navigate it. Seems like it. Uh, so after this meeting, Toranaga and Hiramatsu discuss the outburst from Tadayoshi. And Toranaga, Toranaga promises to spare Tadayoshi's wife, Fuji, who is also Hiramatsu's granddaughter. And they also discuss this predicament that they're in uh, with the other regents. Toranaga doesn't want to be here, but he can't go to war with four armies, or like we said, he'll surely lose. Um, so he sends Hiramatsu to Ajiro to investigate the ship that was washed ashore. boy at this point i'm thinking i'm wondering how a society that routinely 
ends bloodlines that the slightest faux pas survives. <laughs> like, maybe this is why uh, Japan has a depopulation problem right now. But <laughs> it, yeah, it's it's insane to me I, that this that's can like end a bloodline because you made a simple mistake. I mean, yeah. If if I was killed every time I made a mistake, I would have died a thousand deaths. Sure. Um, and I think some of this is a little romanticized because my my understanding is that like yes this definitely happened this was part of the culture but it also mm. was something was extremely romanticized by the Japanese themselves because like man how much more romantic you, you love your lord so much that when you disappoint him or to spare him from dishonor you sure. kill yourself you give yourself uh, and this highly ritualized beautiful where you compose a death poem and like no matter what you did in life you can do that and retain honor for your family which is important but like family if you're ending your bloodline (laughs) it it was something that like was like yeah it definitely happened but it was a rare Mm. thing and then in the retelling like future generations will be like you know yeah we're we're soft our grandfathers used to off themselves at the top of a hat and we're soft. we don't do that and like that is repeated and repeated and repeated until you get to like world war ii and like that's like the mass scale glorification Mm. of like you know you've got whole divisions of soldiers and airmen and navy that's that's willing to die for the emperor you know the 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 sacrifice their lives so it's like it's almost like one of those um like yeah like i'm trying to think of um the way we romanticize the west and the gunfighters of the west Mm -hmm. is a lot of why we are the way we are in 21st century america but if you do any research those gunfighters are not all like they, they mostly just murder drunken people and not even that many of them like it's like this is the <laughs> exception of the rule and now we talk about it as if that's like everybody went into went into the city's healed and we're ready to sh- draw down and any this it's and it's yeah. it, it becomes stupid you know yeah every um, single poker game ended in a murder right 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 <laughs> so and try and, and also trying to live up to that um, extreme view of your own history turns it into like like a toxic mess. So, oh, but yeah. yeah, I it is it is wild that like uh, this guy for a pretty minor slight, but also this is a very critical period. Like this is uh, like the Cuban Missile Crisis of their day. Mm-hmm. So if you are you know there's good reason to be making these crazy. Well, it seems to us from I guess the Western perspective these crazy. Right. Uh, deals and offers and and just playing with your life yeah i don't know how much tadayoshi knows about any of this stuff though he doesn't seem like the brightest bulb in the bunch here but uh anyway inside their cage uh blackthorn tells his men that they have reached japan and they can open trade with the japanese as long as the portuguese don't realize who they are um and they won't they won't realize who they are as long as they don't find this rudder which is locked up in the captain's quarters. Uh, now, I was under the impression that a rudder was a part of the ship. Dude, this is so here. I found out about because this okay. is quite. This is like two hundred years before I get involved in the agency at sail. But this gotcha. rudder is a very archaic form to like talk about a logbook. Um, okay, and it's like it's a corruption of the French word for like, routier, which is essentially like uh, a book of routes. Yep. 
Uh, so they call it the rudder, R-U-T-T-E-R, and the R-U-D-D-E-R is the thing at the back of the ship that steers the boat. But I was, <laughs> okay. I was like, what the fuck, a rudder? <laughs> uh, what, the, how the fuck is finding a rudder going to do anything? And why are you locking it in your cabin? Is it, is it like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like, like, like some people, uh, I guess, take their steering wheel to keep their car from being stolen. Like you go to the dock, you just sure. take your rudder. Yeah, they can't, they can't take the ship if they don't have the rudder. But yeah. it's just a logbook. Yeah, and the the episode makes that clear contextually uh, over mm. the course of the first couple of episodes. So, wasn't that confused for very long? But and we know the why they off. are so concerned because if they start reading that rudder, yeah. it's going to be obvious that they're no simple merchantmen. They're they're privateers. Yeah, they're well. Yeah, there's a I difference. So there's a difference. I suppose so. Privateers go have- around stealing silver and gold and. Yeah, they have permission. Guns, right, they have permission by a certain by yeah. by, by a king or a queen. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, you're if, if you're on the other side of that, they're just pirates, right? Uh, so Fuji refuses to let them take her infant son and ritually kill him. This is Tadayoshi's wife. Uh, she puts a knife to her own throat to try and keep him safe. Uh, and a little woman named Marika eventually talks her into going along with the ritual. Yeah, and we'll we'll come to understand that she has a similar like when she says, "I understand, I feel the pull of death like you do," and we don't understand exactly why, but something happened to her father sixteen years ago, uh, some kind of dark betrayal that w- made her want to follow her father in death, and she was forbidden to do so. So just like, and it seems yeah. like the politics here is this Iron Fist guy is sufficiently powerful enough, and this is his favorite grandchild. That he's like, look, I get it. Tadayashi is an idiot. He's got to die, and his idiot son's got to die. But like, eh, could you spare my grandchild? And the Lord is trying to like make the best out of this. But yeah, mm-hmm. like, it, it, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's a couple moments of genuine horror. But like, being in the mother's position where she's going to deliver her truly innocent, like a baby, mm-hmm. to the father to be ritually slaughtered is wild and i really felt for her when oh, she yeah. draws her sword to like nah i'm th- you, you can't make me you can't make me stay here yeah um yeah and especially the fact that she's gonna have to live with it after right <laughs> she's yeah. gonna survive all of this is almost worse in a way and and when we see later on in this next scene where she goes back to her quarters to pray, we find out she's a Christian, and this weighs on her. The fact that she's condemning, you know, she knows the the pain and the shame she's condemning this woman to live with, and she, you know, asks God for mercy, not just for you know, just for herself, but also just like, yeah, what a fucked up situation. Like I assisted Lady Fuji Fuji with her grief, but like, did I yeah, really? They're doing a good job of showing the like conflict in this two hearts situation that she talks mm-hmm. about later. Because when you look at the very first scene of this episode, it's a man killing himself. And John Blackthorne's estimation of that is that's the coward's way out. You, you're doing something that God doesn't approve of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so now when you see Mariko living like one foot in each of these worlds, she's absolutely torn because her culture thinks this is right and proper her religion thinks this is an abomination so yeah it's you and really it's also, see the conflict in her there's a lot of these cultural inversions and not just in terms of hygiene and grooming but like john blackthorne being like you know suicide is the worst thing you can do you're going to go to hell whereas mm-hmm. in japan it's actually worse to be ordered to live with shame and dishonor right 
like yeah. death is like the easy way into the and the she's glory doing both here or, is the thing yeah. right like she's she's yeah. condemning fuji to this life of dishonor and then she's mm-hmm. also condemning the this child to death so like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's, it's the worst of all her worlds that's rough uh lord yabushige and his army arrive in the village where the prisoners are being held Blackthorn is dragged out of his cage to try to communicate with him, but he can't behave himself and he gets pissed on for it. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Not uh, very good at parlaying. I, dude, I do not... Uh, okay, aside from this is just a crass, brash, simple-minded idiot who we'll see is actually not the case come uh, you know, future scenes. Mm-hmm. I don't understand his demeanor here. I mean, I, I look. I understand he thinks these are savages. They're, they're less than human, but he is clear, so clearly outmatched here that he should at least show a little respect for the situation he's in, if not the people or the, the animals, whatever he would call them, that are doing this to him. This is true, but uh, especially on second watch, I got the idea because I the first time I'm watching, I'm like, oh my god, are you trying to get beheaded? Are right. you like, cause it, and it seems like he knew better. Like he's like, knows that like, Hey, I got to play this right when I'm going up the staircase. Right. And I don't want my men to kill anybody. But then as soon as he gets personally disrespected, he's all like, Oh, you horse bun, cocksucking piss beggar. Ah, and right. then he gets pissed on. And, but I think that like, if he had kept that meek attitude, like him going and grabbing the priest's cross and trampling on it, which we're about to see. Like, no, if he hadn't no, done that, he's a sense. dead man. So it's like, uh-huh. He's the type of guy who puts himself at maximum risk, taken to the very edge of being executed. But if he was a guy like me, or probably like you, we would have we would have survived to we wouldn't have been near that point. But we would have been executed yeah. as a matter of course when the Portuguese just asked him to. Like I, I, I understand that you scene. Yeah, I yeah. just don't get this scene. Like no, he's in, he's, he's not cr- he's not saying these Portuguese suck and I hate them and they're my enemies. He's yeah. saying you guys are. I piss on this whole damn country. It's but I mean, he's a rational. He's not it. a rational guy. Like throughout the whole episodes, he's yeah. just like, I can't die here. I just can't. And everyone's <laughs> saying, No, dude, you totally can. <laughs> it's entirely likely you're going to die. No, I just can't. And yeah, where uh, do you think these guts that they dumped on you came from? Like, it's <laughs> probably the people they beheaded. Yeah, that looked foul. Um, that Ugh. looked that uh, that's some crazy riot control stuff they got there. But uh, yeah. But in the yeah, like in also like in Japan, you must be good. Like that's the highest. Like even when mm-hmm. you lords are openly conspiring against your face, you have to be polite and you have to be deferential and you have to be honorable. And it's not at all the the English way. No, I I tell you, I want to talk about Cosmo Jarvis because I talked some shit about him in the preview podcast, and <laughs> I thought like he, he was going to be the weak link. He's going to be this pretty boy. I did not expect, like, calling it a poor man's Tom Hardy is disrespectful to what he's doing here. He is, like, a very well-off, upper-middle-class, lower-upper-class, 501k, maxed out, uh, broad diversity of wealthy man's version of Tom Hardy. Like, I kept on thinking, if this was actually Tom Hardy, would it be better? And I'm like, I don't think it would be. No, I mean, he's he's doing a great job. I, I... I'm believing his portrayal of this character as someone who is brash and foul-mouthed and everything they say he is, but he's also more than that. He's He's got, he's a, got a curiosity to him. and a cunning, and yeah. you can see how 
he's going to probably learn and take a few things. And then, like, you know, you also see other Europeans, like uh, the Rodriguez we'll get to, where oh, you know, yeah. he makes this point. It's like, you know, go and look at the city and tell tell yourself mm-hmm. then that we're at the hilt of civilization. Like, you can already see, like, he's going to have this path of, you know, this journey of, like, understanding respect. And um, oh, yeah. I, I will say this about him, though. Um, I didn't notice this the first time through because I was very impressed with him. But someone pointed out on... Um, I can't remember if it was our Discord or uh, the subreddit that he's wearing quite terrible blue contacts, and oh. I cannot unsee it. I cannot unsee it. He's wearing all, especially in these bright daylight scenes. He's just 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 wearing hmm. shit blue contacts, man. Uh, okay, I didn't notice. It's uh, yellow jackets all over again, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, I'll have to look at his eyes. Uh. Let's let's go over to Blackthorn being taken before Yabushige. He immediately outs himself as a pirate. The Christian Catholic, should I say, translator begs Yabushige to execute him, but he won't do it. And instead, Yabushige tells the priest to select another hostage to execute. Um, I th- I, there's a couple things I was impressed by. Number one, I just instantly like this Yabushige guy. He's very challenging to like because he's also kind of a monster, but... Mm-hmm. He's, I don't know, there's just something about him that's very charming. He's, he's got, a, I guess, a lack of reserve that the rest of the Japanese actors, you know, Absolutely. like, he, like, like the, the, the annoyance, the open annoyance he flashes at this man's religiosity, you know, it's like, oh, it's like, I don't got time for your Christian, but like, you don't see that in any of the other samurai. And Yabashuga kind of, I don't know, he's like a Joe Pesci Goodfellas type where he's clearly unstable and crazy, but also a lot of fun. <laughs> Uh-huh. That's what I kept looking for in this series is somebody with personality, right? Um, yeah. And he's smart. That isn't that isn't super buried. And yeah, he was he was one of those people. And he's also smart because like he re- his eyes really clicked when he sees this man disrespect his cross. He's shrewd enough to know, oh, my God, this is a white man who's not like the other white men. That's interesting. Yeah, he he is very smart. He'll display those smarts here in a bit a little bit more. Um, I also yeah, really I, I like this guy too. This backwater village priest, like he's not nearly as good at speaking Japanese, so he's mm-hmm. like speaking like a five-year-old. Like this man, pirate, pirate must die. Uh, it's it's, and you can see that like you know, Yabu's just like this. Like I'm just judging degrees of barbarians here, man. This guy smells like piss. Yeah. This guy doesn't, but he talks like a five-year-old. <laughs> this guy doesn't talk at all. Oh, he does try and talk. That, that's the thing that's hilarious to me. He does the the foreigner thing, right, where he just speaks loudly and yeah. slowly and thinks that's going to somehow make them understand his, his stuff, or intensely. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter but how like, forcefully you say your name and your mission, they still can't understand you, you dumbass. Yeah, but yeah, that, 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 he grabs that guy's cross and stamps it in the mud and says, I will not be spoken by understand Catholics. That. Yeah, yeah, that's like all of them did. You can see, like, this is, you know, because they understand, like, they don't believe... Well, I guess some of them do, but the majority of the Japanese don't believe in this guy, but they understand that this is like holy and it's 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 a it's a religious thing and you know, there's a certain amount of respect to it, and this guy just stamping it through the mud makes a big impact. The the confusing thing I guess to me here is this is the exact opposite of the plan that he described to his men down in the prison hole. Uh he told them we need to just play our cards right and pretend like we're Catholics, I think. And then we'll get out of this safely and we can trade with these people and just be gone. 
I think he was out surprised by the speed at which they had to translate. Because, again, they don't know anything about They know that Spain and Portugal is up to something, but I don't think they suspect how well they penetrated. And when it's clear that... Yeah. Like, what a helpless feeling to be... You know, this is like Ace Ventura, where he's got a translator and everything's like, oh, it's white devil this, white devil that. It's like, I can't help but notice you mm-hmm. keep using white... Oh, it's just how they know you. Like, you're just completely at this guy's mercy. Yeah. He's clearly bad faith, clearly trying to get you killed. Uh, I think so. His plan had to change. Yeah, but it changes the instant he sees this guy. I mean, his first words out of his mouth are like, "You're, you're disgusting. I hate you." But how's he gonna like? How's he gonna be pretend to be Catholic when here is a Catholic Protestant priest right in front? Or I'm sorry, Catholic Portuguese Catholic priest. priest. Mm-hmm. Like, if he would, I mean, imagine if he sticks with the plan. Oh, I'm just, I'm the same as this guy. Bullshit. You speak with an English yeah. accent. No. Yeah, I I thought it was I thought it was him thinking quickly on his feet, which he does a bunch in okay. these two episodes. Um, and he also understands here that his takeaway from this conversation is, oh, the Japanese actually don't know about anybody other than the Portuguese. Right, so that'll become yeah. valuable later. It's an opportunity in the in the crisis. So Tornaga plays games with the heir, who is privileged not to be a hostage uh, as a child, and one of the heir's guardians worries about Ishido's plans to take over and kill the heir and she wants him to exploit his bloodline and become the next shogun but he claims nope I don't want to be a shogun and she I also like the scene where she takes him to this tree that was planted the day the boy the boy was born and you can see it's very weak and has to be supported uh, to keep from growing correctly and she asks him like you know you are this boy's support what happens if you die you know so he's like mm-hmm. kind of like yeah you don't want to play the game great you're going to shame your lord and disobey his last order so it's yeah it's faceted because do you believe that nothing in Toranaga wants to be shogun is he truly like a Cincinnatus um, kind of figure or I'm suspicious that that is not true but I also don't know if given the opportunity he would actually take it I, I think even if he desires it I don't know that he he's the guy who would actually snatch that power yeah let me ask you this because we I um, have not delved a lot in the feedback or haven't been spoiled yet so I and I can't promise that yeah, with the nature here. of feedback going forward what's your gut tell you at the end of this thing um is toranaga going to be shogun number one and number two will he still have will he be protecting the air or you understand that he's going to murder the or will the air be murdered yeah i guess Uh, like here's the propositions i have will he be shogun mm -hmm. will the air still be alive and if he's not alive will he have been murdered by toranaga's actions or direct inaction uh, my gut tells me, based on what I've seen of Toranaga, that he's the smartest man in the room. That doesn't always win the day, but you've got better than even chances if that's the case. So uh, I assume that Toranaga is going to succeed in his mission to keep the air alive long enough to become the next Taiko or Shogun or whatever. Gotcha. Okay. It's my assumption, but that's only based on what I've seen of the character so far. I don't know any of the history. Yeah, I I don't eat like I I bet the kid the heir ends up dying so that they do have a he does have a clear path to go to Shogun but it will be because of the machinations of Shido and the rest of the lords it won't it'll be something he reluctantly does as vengeance for his lord more than his own personal glory and honor 
Uh, okay, could be. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, so a hostage is dropped into a pot of water that is being slowly heated. And over the course of the night, he's boiled alive as Yabashige waits and watches for the moment of death. He's disappointed by the man's inarticulate death, but less so by the sex that his courtesan, Kiku, and his servant have for his pleasure. <laughs> like when he sees his uh, lieutenant like looking at the woman, he's like, what are you looking at with your pervert eyes? Just fucking with this guy. Um, yeah, that's pretty good. This boiling alive scene... Um, so it's it's funny. I remember this from the original miniseries. This is one of my enduring memories, and I completely forgot it until it was happening. Like, oh my god, this is where this memory came from. It's for this show. Huh. The other interesting thing to me was that um, I remembered it in my head as being very graphic. Like, not this graphic, but like the man clearly in the water, screaming, thrashing around. And I looked up the scene from the original miniseries, and it's like this man get gets pulled and he's screaming he's led to this cauldron but it cuts away before you see him it's like my my childhood brain invented all of the actual horror of being boiled alive but i remember i was like <laughs> this is an 80 so i was like five years old i remember like that's the first time i'd ever like oh my god can you like my mom has told me like how bad it would hurt to put your hand on a hot stove like what if you're thrown into a fucking boiling pot of holy shit that's terrible you know yeah. like yeah, that's horrible and this is the R-rated version of that. Like, this guy yeah. looks like a pork roast that's been in a slow cooker for 12 hours because he literally is. Like, it's mm-hmm. the meat is falling off the bone, and it's hideous. Yeah, uh, to the point where he kills himself, I think, right? He smashes yeah. his own head on the side of this iron pot Yeah, just to end the pain. I feel like Jesus. if Yabashige really wants to people to be articulate when they die, he might want to try less painful ways of killing them. True. But, eh, I don't know. But he's obsessed but they're really... with... Yeah, go ahead. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out who Yabashige is. What yes. he... What he wants out of this. Because clearly he is fascinated by observing people's reactions to the world and, and circumstances, right? I mean, that's why... Kiku decides that this is actually what's going to get him going. He might be bored if I just try and have sex with him, but if I present mm-hmm. him with something interesting to watch and observe, yes. that will really titillate him. Um, mm-hmm. And yet, at times, he he seems a little, a little dim, or maybe not at least as smart as the the smartest people in the room, but. So he seems like so I got a very strong kind of little finger vibe where this is like I guess there's something about Yabashi. I think it's his manners. It's his dress is not as precise. His hair is not. He's like uh, the shabbiest of the samurai lords. And that Mm -hmm. to me tells me that he's kind of relatively new. And this could all be wrong because I don't know. And please don't tell me either because I'm trying (laughs) to enjoy this as it is. But like that he has come like little finger from nothing and he's worked Mm -hmm. his way up through grit and determination and cleverness but he's also frustrated because he thinks he's probably as smart as the five regents but he just can't get there because he is uncouth he does have uh, doesn't have the Min- minowara bloodline he you know and i i wonder if that's why he's hitched his wagon to toranada because the show is asking me to ask why is this kind of yeah guy who Toranaga kind of makes fun of and doesn't trust like why does he mm-hmm. seem so loyal to him and i think it's because 
he knows Toranaga probably is the going to be the one that the wins this. Um, but I don't know. He also could be a little finger type and that he's just a complete shit and he changes course on a dime. And I just yeah, climbing the ladder. Sure. I just, Ladder's like I chaos. said, he, his, his morals are terrible, but he's just a fascinating and, and really likable character. One of my early favorites. Yeah. He, he seems to want to be a philosopher of some kind. He's also he's the other also, thing. There's mm-hmm. also this Roos Roos Bolton quality to him. Like you know, that was one of Ned Stark's bannermen, and you're always like, why is this guy who skins people alive and's mm-hmm. got this lunatic? Son, why is he one of Ned Stark's bannermen? And there's a little bit of that. Like there's a dis- disreputable quality that like oh, he's yeah. like the one down from all the other lords, but yet he's this seems stalwart ally of the paragon of virtue. What the fuck is up with that? Well, he's also a, a greedy opportunist as well. True. Which we'll see here later in Maybe the Maybe this Ned Stark is smart enough to know he needs a few of those around to shore up his weaknesses. Like, I need a complete scumbag yeah. so that I don't get black. I don't get, bl- you know, blindsided by other scumbags. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Uh, Blackthorn wakes naked and hungry. Food has been provided, but no clothes. <laughs> this is one of the moments of comedy in the series. Where he's standing at the door, his hands over his crotch, completely bare ass naked, yeah. and he says, "Where are my boots?" Yeah, <laughs> not knowing that you're never going back to your Western clothes, dude. And did him put his I, hands I, but, but the just wall that he asked also. for boots, he's completely stuck yeah. naked, and he's like concerned about where his boots are. I, that's mm-hmm. hilarious to me. We'll be right back with more bald move after this brief pause. You've been listening to quite a few Bald Move podcasts now, but you're not in the club? Whoo boy, you are missing out. Not only are all of our premium club podcast feeds completely ad-free, but we have lots of other great content exclusively for people in the club. There's a weekly lunch with Jim and Aaron where we chat with fans about anything and everything from TV and films, food, fun, life advice, and more. But there's also Off the Clock, our premium podcast where we talk about all the shows we don't have time for on our public feeds. Plus, you get access to our full spoiler-filled first-round movie reviews of our newly released films. Don't forget Instant Take and Talk Podcast, where we give our hot takes and discuss television shows with our fans live and immediately after the episode airs. With mega shows like House of the Dragon coming this summer, we're going to have lots to talk about. Not to mention access to our fun and friendly community of club members, with exclusive Discord channels and a dedicated forum. It's one of the best places on the internet to hang out and chat about pop culture. Bottom line, you're helping two regular type guys in the Midwest make the content you like to listen to, which some would say is reward unto itself. Help keep the lights on and the bits flowing at Bald Move. And get some awesome content for yourself. Head to support.baldmove.com to join the club today. Since the dawn of time, we've been putting clothes on our back that identify us with our people, our group, our tribe. And why Bald Move might be one of the smallest, weirdest tribes out there, transcending all concepts of border, class, culture, and creed, we still have respect for the old ways. At support.baldmove.com, you can get t-shirts, hats, mugs, and more. We have something for every one of our podcasts, or just wear the four pips of the Bald Move logo with pride. 
Bald Move merch beats running around naked, and they make a great gift for the Bald Move fan in your life. Join our tribe. Head over to support.baldmove.com and click on merch to start shopping. Commission podcasts are an awesome feature here at Bald Move that allows you, the individual listener, to decide what we talk about for a single podcast. The community loves it because it often leads to fun fan favorite films and TV shows that we've overlooked getting the coverage they deserve. And we love it because we're constantly exposed to great stuff that's not even on our radar. The way it works is simple. You go to support.baldmove.com and you click on commissions. Then you pay the flat rate for the commission and tell us what two-ish hours of content you'd like us to make podcasts on. Then we'll contact you for details, advanced feedback, and any dedications you'd like to make. Then we watch the thing, discuss the thing, turn it into a podcast, and pump it right into your ears. We get consistently great feedback on how much our commissioners love their podcast, and they make great gifts for the dedicated Bald Move fan in your life. And who knows, that dedicated fan could even be you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info. And now, back with more Bald Move. Uh, so Yamashige demands that his nephew write a poem about the man who died the previous night. And he does. And Yamashige is pleased with it. Poem being, his eyes were just the end of hell, all pain, articulate. He was not it's articulate. It's funny. That's what I'm saying. Like, I thought it was there's another calculated, like, uh, going against the Lord, but to stand out. Like, I thought that when his mother's like, look, your uncle's coming and you got to make a big impression. And as they and, and the way he looked like, I'm like, oh, this is a weak kid that's going to get rolled over by this Lord. And then when I see Yabu kind of rolls into the scene, I see what kind of guy he is. I'm like, oh, this guy's going to be strung up with his guts out. <laughs> But sure. he does, no. he does, he does take these risks where, like, he definitely goes against what, you know, like, he's like, ah, oh, it's an inarticulate death, but he has this, like, poetic way of elevating it, and it really impresses and delights Yabu. And I think th- there's an acknowledgement here on Yabushige's part where he understands that this guy is just trying to dress up this event that he saw no value in, but he's doing mm-hmm. it in order to please his uncle, right? And so he appreciates that. Yeah. And there's this term that like, I can't quite precisely define. Maybe you've heard of panache. Have you ever heard that word panache? Uh, Sure. I I equate it to like a certain flair to your actions. But there's also like a bravery and a brashness and like a swashbuckling. And I I think that this, the Yabushiba really admires this man's panache even though he knows he's just kind of glad handing him and he's Mm -hmm. genuinely impressed with this kid's ability to you know like he clearly because Yabu's getting ready with his calligraphy he's like you know kind of like you know has these appetites of an artist above all else and this guy's got this artistic talent and he's got a mind for like military and strategy and politics he's he's impressive yeah I mean we can talk about that Blackthorn gets dressed by a couple of women who leave him alone again and then we go over to Yabashie and his nephew. Um, nephew gets his fee phrased, which is basically his holdings, um, his pay uh, from, not, from. Not only that, the, Lord. that I also found out that the the importance of the lords are ranked strictly by the their koku allowances. So yeah, like, yeah. 
it's not just like how wealthy you are, but that's literally your prestige as well. It's just an ordered list mm-hmm. of who's got the most and who's got the least. And you just got 3,000 more, young man. Yeah, seems good. Uh, so Nephew asks if he's going to tell Tornag about the ship. Yabashige kind of encourages him to think of a reason why he would not. And the Nephew's reasoning, there will be war and Ishido will become powerful in Japan, but he'll have to contend with Christian weapons. And anybody who has Christian weapons with which to defend themselves would become a valuable ally. Uh, there just so happen to be Christian weapons on this ship. Yeah. And <laughs> Yabashige is all set to, you know, keep this a secret and trade this information and these guns later, but Hiramatsu arrives, claims the weapons for Lord Toronaga, and Yabashige realizes there must be a spy in this village because he knew exactly how many guns and cannons there were. But- it's also my understanding this is something that I guess the old miniseries kind of played up is that um, that like guns and cannon are like these magical weapons that the yeah. samurai didn't even understand, which I hear is um, anachronistic that the Japanese have been making guns for like a hundred plus years. Yeah, but because of the metallurgy of Japan, they cannot quite manufacture on the scale and quality that the Europeans. Because if you know anything about like katanas and how they're made, you know that they're like made by a folding steel and folding steel and folding steel, and that like makes it super strong and you know all that kind of stuff. But the reason they came up with that technique is because their metal quality was so bad that they had to have all these like advanced techniques to make swords that were decent. So it's like my understanding is like it's not that they don't know what guns and cannons are and they need to be. It's just that like they just you know like a European ship could bring in one month what they could produce in 10 years so it's like a balance mm, gotcha. of power thing rather than a, oh the mystical weapon from the westerners kind of thing alright yeah more guns the better because I even like a lot of the if you notice in the background a lot of these samurai guards have rifles already uh-huh. uh huh the thing that stuck out to me here is when uh, Hiramatsu sort of checks the loyalty of Tornaga here or he's not really checking the loyalty he he's enforcing loyalty i guess mm-hmm. uh, at sword point here cuz this this is an interesting conflict right you've got this this fief uh idea which is lower lords being uh loyal to their the higher lords because they are paying them essentially or giving them lands or whatever uh belongs to them in their fief but then you've got the concept of loyalty. You're supposed to trade that stuff in exchange for loyalty. Now, those concepts, I feel like, are dubious at best. And you have uh, Yabushige here kind of displaying that. If he thinks he has the upper hand and an advantage over his the higher lord who he's loyal to, that loyalty could go out the window. Yep. It's, I mean, it re- the only, assuring loyalty by payment only gets you as far as somebody else paying them more no i mean this is literally gangster shit this is yeah. the sopranos where you know tony the there's like a there's like a give and take where it's like the bosses can take as much as they want but if they take everything then the underlings will betray them so and this is the little... entire country being run this way this is not pockets yeah. of underworld this is yeah. feudalism yeah it's <laughs> uh-huh. like and there's like this push pull between the lords like i can pull the chain so tight but if i do it a little tighter then the dog will break the chain and you know destroy me and especially if multiple or dogs maybe i get can together, pay them more and the chain will become stronger you know stronger. Uh, right 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 yeah. 
but but just like you can tell and like, I, I just love that scene where Hiromatsu the, the iron fist rolls up and he, he's, he's kind of catches Yabashiga red handed and he tries to protest like oh this is my fief I thought and he like oh I thought you know I'm so sorry I, I thought you were loyal to my lord and he does that little like mm-hmm. pop pops the sword like a half inch out and obviously is like he does the math is like fuck okay no no I'm gonna get this I just want to make it a surprise you know yeah right uh, nobody's buying that uh yeah it's, it's like Christopher Christopher on the Sopranos dealing with Polly you know it's like ah oh, you're robbing me blind but what am I gonna say you know yeah all right Blackthorn's gonna be taken to Osaka and he meets a Spaniard named Rodriguez who is the one responsible for taking him there. He educates Blackthorn on some of the Japanese customs and lets him take control of the ship as they sail directly into a massive storm. The ship barely survives it, but Rodriguez goes overboard in the process. Yeah, did you recognize this uh, Lord Rodriguez here? Uh, Not until I looked him up. There were a few people in these first couple episodes. I'm like, I know that guy. And yeah, I I do know this guy. Um, so I know him as Chris, from the Christopher Nolan uh, Dark Knight series, uh, the Batman series, because he plays the mayor, uh, Mayor Garcia. But he's yeah. also in later seasons of Lost. Like uh-huh. I guess he's a, a prominent in that. So I guess that's where most people know him. But he looks way different here. He's, his oh, hair yeah. is all white. His he's got, he's got this big bushy beard, and he's got a mostly shaved head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that he is another one of my instantly favorite characters just like yeah Yeah. this is a man with personality and a sea of people who are very buttoned up i loved it and this crazy kind of like very overt western spaniard demeanor and presentation but he's clearly Mm -hmm. embraced a lot of the eastern philosophies in terms of just like going along and like being in the current of life and yeah Mm -hmm. i said what a great character i hope we're not done with him i i i I I hope uh I can't imagine they spent so much time ingratiating him to the Englishman without, but I don't know. He's a great character, great early character. Mm-hmm. I couldn't help but just think how insane it is to be in a storm like this in what is effectively a glorified rowboat. I mean, oh, yeah. those waves, man. <laughs> yeah, and the, 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 the seemingly like handle your ship and I like because yeah heading into the wave turning into the swell like that's like sailing 101 like I don't I don't quite understand uh, why this guy was resistant to it like why yeah if he's supposed to be a good pilot I I felt like there's something missing was he drunk was he following this uh, philosophy of uh, what what was it Uh, Uh, yeah Shukame to it's like illogical like I'm just going with the flow man the ocean wants me to go this way and Mm -hmm. yeah I don't know but yeah he he did seem reluctant to turn into the swell which even I know is what you need to do when the waves are that big yeah yeah it's crazy because like it's just taking these broadside like you can see the waves going through the interior of the ship because it's got these massive windows and it's just mm-hmm. like knocking people over knocks his own dumbass overboard yep and as soon when as uh as soon as the engine gets his hand on the rudder then like suddenly it seems like it's okay so like i wasn't quite there must be also i was i i gathered that like in these first two episodes they cover roughly the first third of the book 
Oh, wow. So clearly okay. they are rushing through to get to the important parts so they can take their time with the later mm-hmm. parts of the story. But there has to be something we're missing because like the yeah, it's this big question mark with Rodriguez. Why was he suicidal in the storm? Did he get drunk? Was he like was yeah. he like so devoted to the Spanish cause that the Portuguese paid him to kill the engine before he even makes it to shore? I uh, don't know. Not clear to me. Yeah. Uh, after the storm, they go ashore. Yabashige takes Blackthorn to see if they can find Rodriguez. And they do, but he's a long way down off a cliff in rough water. And Blackthorn's going to go down after him, but they won't let him. Uh, instead, he challenges Yabashige to go get him. And he does, though he barely survives the climb and is almost forced to kill himself in the process. It's funny Matt. how black like like Yabashiga sees this as a ploy of like the Westerner testing him and testing his manhood and like no Blackthorn it's like this is entirely accidental he's following his customs and demands and like you know like that's like uh, like sailors uh, as much as possible don't leave each other behind mm-hmm. and you know they're like uh, have a horror of drowning in the sea so he's like and also the man skilled he should be retail but like yabashuya sees this as like obviously he's trying to show him up in front of his men yeah and uh he can't turn down this challenge uh, and like blackthorn kind of instinctively up- knows that and plays the part like as soon as he realizes yeah. he like stands like like he's a teacher looking at a student going through a very grueling testing uh mm-hmm. protocol uh, it's like it's yeah. it's interesting how he instinctually plays some of these power games so well. Yeah, it's a big teaching scene for both of these characters actually, because Blackthorn's going to learn a lot about the Japanese people here yeah. um, with their sense of honor, the way that they face death, especially this Yabashige guy who we've been shown is a student of death. Um, mm-hmm. And so you know he faces it pretty articulately, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like you know, like Rodriguez says, like choosing your uh, choosing your own manner of death. Like you know, what what more can you ask for than that? But uh, sure. just as he's about to commit uh, very hasty seppuku, he gets slapped with a rope in his face, and his men save his life. Yeah. Uh, is is Yamashi earning any respect from Blackthorn here, or is this just I- simply? surprise like bewilderment on blackthorn's part i think that yes that that like so when he gets to the top like blackthorn uh, bows to him and and yabashiga kind of chuckles mm-hmm. at like what's going on here i think so i think that like yeah yeah like i i would respect this guy for putting himself in that kind of risk in front of his men when he didn't have to he could have ordered like and i think blackthorn oh, yeah. understands that he could have ordered any of his underlings to do that Mm-hmm. probably would have cost him to lose face but the guy who's like putting his image of himself above his own life yeah i mean uh i, sure. I, I think blackthorn really respects because i don't think it's something he would do no blackthorn seems so. above all a survivor and there is some kind of like awe and respect that like or not just awe, but like the possibility of like a whole people that view death this way and life this way like what are the possibilities of that um yeah, you know, like a truly alien way of looking at things. Absolutely, and and you know, Yabshi is adhering to that like sense of honor, but it also, like I said, he's a greedy opportunist. We just saw in previous scene how he's willing to not directly but indirectly stab his own lord in the back if he thinks he has an advantage or could get one in the future. I that's what makes him one of the most interesting characters to me is 
he's got a lot of seemingly uh, seeming like conflicts within him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's trying to serve two masters here, uh, which, you know, goes into the next scene, I guess. Um, where Tornaga asks Mariko to be his trusted translator when Blackthorn arrives because he believes Blackthorn could turn the tide for him and uh, he doesn't trust anybody else to translate for them. Yeah. And we're also like a little bit more of the mystery of Mariko that's been, you know, 14 years since the death of her father. Um, mm-hmm. There's something shameful about that because she wanted to follow it, but like also uh, from Toranaga's perspective, he revered the man, like really looked up to him. Uh, mm-hmm. And she wasn't permitted to die with him, which is what they say. Um, which, which I think robbed her of her purpose. Well, it feeds what? back into that previous scene with Fuji, right? Like you really yeah. understand now. Oh, she's in the exact same predicament that she's putting this woman in. It's not just she. She has this like cultural understanding of the pain she feels it herself because she's in the same situation so when he so what is Toranaga promising when he says I'll restore you to your purpose does that mean that he's going to give her permission to die does that mean that she'll get permission to remarry does that mean like I'm not exactly sure she's already remarried right Uh, oh you're right she is remarried we don't know that yet but yeah she what yeah so what is her purpose that he's restoring her to or is he just saying i'm going to give you a greater purpose than the shitty one that you know you got like because i yeah her husband doesn't seem like so doesn't seem like a happy marriage at all no 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 uh yeah we'll talk about that in the next episode but i think that's it it's Mm. he's going to give her a new purpose and also i think they're like kind of setting up yoga shiba or yoga shiba and uh shiga and this uh, mariko as kind of like and maybe a lot of like the Iron Fist too is they're showing like all the people that Toranaga has around him and all the reasons they have to betray him and all the reasons they have to be loyal to him and I you know as a show as a as a story enjoyer I look at this and I'm like one of these people will betray him <laughs> uh-huh. and like I would say Yobashiga seems like the obvious one so he cannot oh, yeah. be the one so like sure. does Iron Fist betray him uh, does Mariko portray like these are all interesting possibilities and again if you know the answer keep it to yourself don't, yeah so so I could see Hiramatsu being the one to betray him perhaps unknowingly this this yeah. we'll see later I, I don't know if he's the sharpest tool in the shed we've we've talked about it a little bit but yeah like he can't like he doesn't see, he thinks that his lord's leading the whole clan to dishonor and he's like doing something mm-hmm. that he thinks is going to help his lord but he doesn't fully yeah I could like I said betray can mean a lot of things uh, absolutely yeah you can inadvertently betray someone <laughs> yeah and, uh, and, or like, do it for the right reasons but do the wrong action for the, for the, the sure. right reasons you know yeah, like uh, Todayashi, right? Like mm-hmm. or Tadayoshi. He, yeah, he <laughs> really he messed brave, up, but he, he was loyal, was right? But yeah. he put his lord behind the eight ball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Blackthorn refuses to give in to the unseen power of nature, which Rodriguez is describing to him. So Rodriguez shows him the rudder that he found on his ship, which details their mission to pirate and plunder. Uh, Rodriguez plans to turn him in when they arrive in Osaka, which they do shortly after, and he's brought before Toranaga at bows low. And the episode ends. I love that because, like, you know, as soon as Rodriguez shows that he's got the rudder, like Blackthorn's instantly going to murder him. But Rodriguez is a step ahead; he's got the pistol. Yeah. Um, 
which is also a nice little um, bookend from the pr- the first scene where Blackthorn gives the captain a pistol to kill himself, and mm, then Blackthorn right. tries to kill the captain, and the pistol says, "I thought that was an interesting way to start and stop the episode." Um, yeah. and you know, like I said, it's extremely like as horrific as the boiling scene was. I thought uh, Tadayoshi Seppuku party. Uh, and how just like bloodless it all is, um, is just just so it it just it's just really it's hard to comprehend putting yourself in a position like oh, yeah. that, holding your newborn like this because this baby's not even a year old and you're going mm-hmm. to kill it and then yourself and end your blood like that's insane that seems <laughs> insane uh, to me it seems objectively insane like but then you look you know it's like I was like. Anytime I think something like that, I think of like well, something from my culture that looks at like uh, the electric chair. That's an insane sure. thing to do. Uh huh. To, to, to not doing a it person to with electricity. No, 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 no. no. But we as yeah. society are like, and we get and we watch it, and the and it's like there's this ritual, and you put the hut, and you like that's an insane way to roll. Doom scrolling. Uh, that's insane. That's insane too. But we, it's, it's, but we, you know, like, but, but you don't ever think about it that way. So, right, right. I don't know. Every time I see something ugly in another culture, I think, what's ugly in my culture? And oh, a lot yeah. of ugly shit in our culture, to be honest. Um, a lot of beautiful things too. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the seppuku is just really hard to wrap your heart around, your, your, your head and heart around. And speaking then, of hearts, yes, let's talk about that. There's, there's this voice over here. Uh, I think it's from, uh, Tornaga, who's talking about every man having three hearts, one in his mouth for the world to know, another in his chest just for his friends, and a secret heart buried deep where no one can find it. And that is the heart a man must keep hidden if he wants to survive. I could not help but pair this with the two hearts that you have to. Uh, Mariko, yeah, explains that she has. It makes me wonder, do men have three hearts and women have two or do women have three hearts as well mm. and like you were talking about there could be some betrayal on the horizon yeah and she doesn't say I have two hearts she says I have more than one heart so I think you're like it's even uh, a stronger association with this three hearted approach and also like so here's something too. we talked about like we talked I think it was off the podcast where you know we're both kind of going this blind I did a little bit more reading uh, and like the cultural stuff and background than you have but like one thing I'm still unclear on or I guess I found surprising is the dual role Christianity plays in this culture where like it's accepted enough that people are able to openly worship and these priests Mm -hmm. are walking around and like there's this not this extreme outside of phobia at least where it comes to the Spaniards and the um the Portuguese, but also they're oppressed enough to be rounded up and killed without any kind of trial or reason. Um, hmm. Yeah, and like even like where the one villager tries to like intervene for Blackthorn, he gets beheaded. My understanding was like he can get beheaded because he's Christian. He got beheaded because he annoyed the the samurai. Yeah, and was getting in the way his of orders of his official business. So it's like mm-hmm. I I was very surprised at how open to Christianity the Japanese people seem to be overall like it's not there is not seen as like a cultural threat um it seemed as a kind of curiosity or a eccentricity but yet it also is is, yeah. is oppressed as well um I can't I'm tell very... if that is a that is for the sake of greed if they see the the extreme wealth coming in from these Catholics and they embrace the religion because the wealth is also coming in oh and maybe the people in prison are the ones that are like 
like the the Father <laughs> Domingo who are like righteous. Like we're in it for the souls and we see how corrupt right, and gross right. and they're maybe speaking out in the streets and they get they're like political prisoners more than religious prisoners. Yeah, could be. Uh, but yeah, we'll get more into that next episode. It's kind of the the end of this episode. I am curious to see if Tornaga has this third heart that we have not yet seen, um, and actually does want to become Shogun. That's the thing. I I, I yeah. That one. The whole reasons I had that thought of like maybe he does. He's protesting a bit too much, or he's going to warm up to the idea of being Shogun. Is yeah, like he's if, if if this is a universal truth and i think the novel and the show is wanting us to believe that then yeah what is tornaga's secret heart mm-hmm. and we've seen the first two displayed i mean the first one is displayed in the meeting with the other regents the second one yeah. is displayed sort of with the heirs guardian made i don't know what yeah. they call him uh but he we he has not revealed his third heart i think that's for mm-hmm. us to try and decipher and especially since like i would not characterize john blackthorne as a good man no He's a adventurer. He's an opportunist. He's a war profiteer and a warmonger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since it seems like him and Toranaga are kind of simpatico in these first two, like, is that telling me something about Toranaga too, or is that going to eventually kind of di- whereas like Toranaga is going to be disgusted at John Blackthorne's like sure bedrock lack of morals, or mm-hmm. will John Blackthorne discover a bedrock of morals, or will Torn? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. There's, there's a lot of sly questions I think the show's asking us I, I can really <laughs> see why this is well regarded material yeah so far so good well, that's going to be the episode um, we're going to stop here and just in case like you know people consume the episodes in different orders we'll split uh, the, the two podcasts even though they're kind of presented as a unit uh, no feedback this week because we were dealt uh, speaking of the hand of fate a hmm. brutal hand in that uh, Shogun had two episodes of very long intricate storytelling at the same and we're supposed to podcast on the same day that uh, they saw fit to release a three hour Dune movie we're going to mm-hmm. be working like an 18 hour day today so we don't we, we, we're, we're literally up against hard time limits uh, but do not hesitate to send us feedback Shogun at Bald Move. I do want to please ask that people keep advanced. Like, I I realize that there's an entire novel and lightly historicized events that the answers for all these questions are probably in contained there. Me and Jim don't want to know it. And I don't think most of the viewers want to know it either. So help us mm. have a pristine viewer experience by not sending us in a ton of spoilers. And I don't like a lot of people are being helped, like try to be helpful with explanations, but they're essentially just telling us what's going to happen next episode. I don't, mm. I want to avoid that. And I, 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 I will, I might even be willing to not do feedback this season if it becomes a problem. So, yeah. uh, yeah, like, 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 like help, uh, help keep us, uh, uncontaminated from the outside barbarians by preserving our, our ignorance of the book and historical details of this. But yeah, anything else you want to know as far as like illuminating things we're not too sure about that are not going to be spelled out to us in the beginning of time. If you got some background in Japanese, uh, uh, you just have some viewpoints as a first time watcher. Love all that stuff. Shogun at baldmove.com. Uh, follow along with the other stuff we're doing uh, at our social media is at baldmove. And then finally, if you'd like to support us and get ad free feeds and bonus content like our OTC show, where we're currently talking about Apple TV's Constellation. Netflix's Blue Eye Samurai. Uh, the next one I'll be talking about the uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender adaptation. 
Uh, we could use your support, support.baldmove.com, for more information about that. That's it. On to the next episode. We'll see you there. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Later. Later.